Welcome to Adoption Unfiltered, a podcast about examining various viewpoints of lived adoption experiences. Your hosts, Sarah Easterly, Kelsey Vanderbilt-Rainyard, and Lori Holden, occupy three corners of the adoption triad, and we invite you to join us as we cover sensitive and timely issues from the perspectives of an adoptee, a birth parent, and an adoptive parent. Enjoy today's episode. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Adoption Unfiltered. I'm Sarah Easterly. I'm an adoptee, and I'm joined, as usual, by Kelsey Vanderfleet-Ranyard, a birth parent, and Lori Holden, an adoptive parent. And today we have a very special guest with us as well, adoptee Alice Stevens. We're so glad to have you here, Alice. Thanks for joining us. Um, Alice is a Korean adoptee. She was among the first wave of intercountry transracial adoptees. Her debut novel, Famous Adoptive People, was published in 2018 by Unnamed Press. Um, she's widely published. She's um, does she's an editor of Bloom. She writes book reviews in a column, Alice in Wordland, for the Washington Independent Review of Books. And she's co-founder of the Adoptee Literary Festival. Um, and I found my way to Alice. Um, a few years ago, uh, I was listening to uh, the Adoptees On podcast, um, and Alice started saying some things that really resonated for me. Um, her, her podcast episode came out, oh, I can't remember the exact timing, Alice, but it was um, shortly after a really long, lonely publication journey for my memoir, and I kept having agents and editors tell me things like adoption books don't sell, and I would say, okay, and believe them. And then I'd turn around and be like, well, wait a minute. Like I've been watching adoption movies my whole life. <laughs> There's so many adoption books out there, but they, so they do sell and then kind of realizing, oh, they sell if they're not written by adoptees. Um, so hmm, what's up with that? And I had, I didn't have anyone really to talk to. And I hear Alice talking about some of these same issues on the Adoptees On podcast. And I was in my car, like, just like, yes, yes, yes. Um, and kind of it all happened at the same time that I was considering starting the Adoptee Voices writing groups to help give the mic to adoptees, help to support adoptees in owning their stories. And so it was just a natural, I contacted you, Alice, and so thankful you said yes, and we've been facilitating the Hone Your Craft writing groups ever since, so coming up on three years um, in supporting adoptees and their storytelling. So um, anyhow, that's how I found Alice. You're very passionate about, um, about so many things, including adoptee storytelling. So um, yeah, just so glad, so glad you're here and, and that we do this work together. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you very much for having me on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, and congratulations on your upcoming book. I really look forward to it. And I'm uh, I, I'm really proud of you. And I think um, it's going to be a great addition to the adoptee discourse. Um, and uh, yeah, just going back to adoptee voices. Uh, I'm so glad that you found me. Um, and that's the power of podcasts, right? Um, so good for just people finding each other through podcasts and through um, all sorts of other community networks. Um, and the reason why I think both of us 
get along so well and I consider you a really close and dear friend is because we're both passionate about um, about reframing the narrative of adoption, which as you point out, has been uh, told for so long by non-adopted people and it's turned into just a trope uh, now that is expected by the audience because that's all they've ever heard. And um, when it deviates from the trope, which is generally uh, that the adoptee is just a um, an object uh, that other people act upon and is not the subject of the story, there's, they're, they are sort of what proves other people's humanity and um, they are just uh, a vessel of the story and not actually the protagonist. They don't do the thing to move the story along, uh, but they move other people to, you know, come to realizations or, or you know, prove whether they're a villain or a hero. Um, and it's very damaging because now society has certain expectations of the adoptee story that um, are just one sort of, we should be grateful, we should just be silent, we should be happy with what we have, fortune has smiled upon us, we are so lucky, and not looking at all the nuances of the stories of adoptees. And as we all know here, um, every adoptee story is different. Every adoptee story has its own power. And just to be flattened to that one story is um, does a, a huge disservice to everybody in the adoptee constellation. And it, um, it changes everybody's expectations of what is going to happen. Uh, and when honesty comes along, as we've seen time and time again, um, most recently with Michael Orr, people don't know how to deal with it. And they just get angry about it. And they have these strong opinions and really insulting opinions. Um, and uh, it's, it, you know, there's no empathy there. There's no sympathy there. It's just that you didn't... You, this isn't how the story is supposed to go. And these people, a lot of them, they don't have anything to do with adoption. Uh, and yet they just kind of come come back at at you, the adoptee, or anybody who's who's related with the adoptee story um, with their unreasonable expectations. Um, so the adoptee gets silenced again. So they're silenced in not telling their story and then they're silenced when they react against somebody not telling their story. Uh, and it just, um, you know, that's kind of what the situation has been for a long time. And it's really important that adoptees come out and tell our stories um, to show the world that, um, that this, every story is different, every story is nuanced, there's good, there's bad. You know, there's all sorts of things that are tied up in adoption that are beyond the story, things that people don't want to look at, like class and like who gets babies and what where those babies come from and the, you know, the whole system, the whole welfare system here and abroad, you know, all sorts of all sorts of things that people would rather not uh, look at. So 
um, back to adoptive voices, just that that's why we've come together is because we know that it's really important that adoptees tell our stories. I really like what you said, Alice, about it's important for adoptees to tell their stories, but on the other end, it's also important for everybody else to listen to adoptees' stories, because as you pointed out, um, adoptees have been used as in being in service to the story rather than as the story. And that's a, you know, a complication of them being the vessel for the story, which is fed kind of by this idea that babies are a blank slate, if adoptees are a blank slate, we can just pour into them whatever we want to put into them as the reader, as the consumer, as the parent, as society. And so um, getting adoptee stories out there and having them be received by non-adoptees is so important to completing this picture, to better understanding everything, and to then creating a better world for the adoptees that we all profess to love and want to make adoption about. I wonder if it would be helpful for us to just unpack some of the just low-hanging fruit of, of these adoption narratives to just help illustrate exactly what these problems, some of these problems are and some of them, some of the issues. You mentioned Michael Orr. Um, so of course it's it's recent, it's out there. Um, it's out there right now. I, the movie, The Blind Side, full of, it's the adoption trope, right? And that's a really good example uh, that um, that movie, and Michael Orr addresses this, it, it shaped the public's view of him uh, in a way that was really insulting to him, um, that made him look, you know, like somebody who couldn't figure out football by himself, but had to have it explained by, you know, a younger white boy. And, um, and then there's also that the whole movie was about them adopting him or, you know, and they said that they, that they adopted him. They told him that they adopted him. They, they made money <laughs> from, um, from that. Uh, and yet now, many years later, um, when he does, you know, he realized the magnitude of it and it's, it's beyond money. You know, it's such a, it's a huge betrayal of what it, of what a family is. And um, to think that you, that you were, that they were your parents, that they accepted you into the family and then to find out that it wasn't how you thought it was. Um, and knowing that they definitely, you know, made money off of it, a lot of money off of it. They published two books and, um, the mother, uh, Leanne Toey, and probably the father, I don't know, Sean Toey, um, were motivational speakers that got tens of thousands of dollars per speech. Um, and their books are like the power of giving back, you know, um, and um, that kind of predatory um, depiction, I mean, that kind of predatory relationship when it's depicted as a beautiful adoption story, and is so powerful. And then you look at 
like what people are saying about Michael Orr and they're saying, you know, oh, shut up. You, you earn millions of dollars and you should be grateful that, you know, all the stuff that adoptees hear, um, you should be grateful that they took you in. You know, it's, um, it's just that shows what the power of Hollywood is, you know, that the movie, the blind side, just people loved it. They watched it. Um, and then they can't get their mind changed about it. They can't, they think they know the whole story when the story was obviously insulting to Michael and um, was his story. But again, the action was upon him, even though he was the one who became the, went to, you know, became the football star. But it wasn't because of him, it was because of other people who made him do it, you know? Um, and then not, and have those other people tell your story and then profit off your story, you know, no matter what, no matter how, how much money, if it was $10, <laughs> it's just, um, you know, it's a, it's really, I think, triggering for adoptees, the whole, that whole story. What, um, what, I what really bothered me about the film too was it was exactly what you were saying about he was, it was the object versus subject. And I almost wanted to go in and count the dialogue because the actor who was portraying Michael Orr had so few lines. Most of the lines were given to his, to the mother, to Leanne. And um, the movie really became about her, even though the movie wouldn't have been possible without Michael. And so that was a perfect, I think, illustration of that speaking over us. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, good point. It was all about her. And um, then it goes on to influence other people you know, who watch that movie and say, oh, maybe I want to adopt transracially too. And as we know, there are people out there who do adopt transracially to, you know, for the Instagram likes or whatever. Um, and uh, there, you know, there's the case of the Hart family in California that went off the cliff, you know, and um, just the, uh, you know, there are all sorts of cases of people who adopt um for the wrong reasons because it makes them look like a good person. Um, and that movie, you know, perfect is a perfect illustration of why somebody would watch a movie like that and be like, oh, I can do that. And all the wrong motivations and then, you know, adopt transracially or adopt, <laughs> you know. I think that's a key. There's so many problems with the adoption tropes um, that we're used to that we've just been, culture has been just drinking up for decades. Um, and, um, you know, it's just, one, that's one of the many problems I can think of about five more. Alice, I'd love to hear from you on other problems with that, that trope when we just, when we keep seeing it, what, what are some of the other problems? And I mean, right off the bat, just from our work with adoptive voices, I'm thinking of wh what it does to the human beings <laughs> is is pretty significant too. Yeah, I, you know, it um, slows your your own growth if you don't if you're looking for yourself in literature, movies, TV, and all you see is an adoptee who is either the magical adoptee or 
you know, the the just lump adoptee. And it it influences how you think of yourself. You don't see just like you don't see genetic mirrors, you don't actually see adopt other adoptee mirrors um, or healthy mirrors or things, you know, that will make you uh feel like you're part of a powerful community which you are you know there is a very powerful adoptee community out there so it tends to isolate it 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 just like it forms other people's minds it forms your mind um and warps you and warps the way that you you know makes you feel like your feelings are invalid um or that you're being ridiculous or selfish or all of those things um so it, there's the that effect on on the adoptee herself, um, but there's also an effect on society too by um, promoting adoption without thinking, as I said before, about the about the structure that girds adoption. Why there are adoptable babies? Who gets the babies? You know where those babies come from. Um, those those issues just get sort of pushed under the rug because you have this one story of a poor black kid whose mother was a drug addict and was taken and then became an NFL success. Um, so it's just, it's damaging to everybody. The whole, um, the whole adoptee narrative as it exists right now, except for certain people who, you know, benefit from it by getting by by adopting children and then living in their own sort of like fantasy world of what that means. Another thing that comes to mind for me, and you you touched on this a little bit again, back to Michael Orr, um, and just having having had my own mother share my adoption story in different speeches and talks over the years. It, developmentally, we don't always we we might give consent. <laughs> To this so i think to up to a certain point and then it takes a long time to reach adoption our adoption consciousness as adoptees and so i think there's a way that um another reason to have just people who've been in adoption for a long time think who've done the critical thinking and to help inform so um i don't know if there's a question there but i'd love to hear your thoughts on that when you somebody tells your story from the beginning you feel like they can tell your story and um it's natural for somebody else to tell your story and you and that's your story then you don't make up your own story it's what you were told and um when you're young and when that's that's your that's what you know that's what you know you know there's no way that you can be critical about it as as a child unless you're extremely aware which I certainly wasn't. Um, so there's so much of that dissonance um, for the adoptee uh, where you can't tell your own story. And then when we get the courage to tell our own story and we tell it, uh, for instance, in the publishing world, we really face a lot of um, resistance they don't want that story. They don't want your um, genuine story. They want the story that was not written by an adopted person, uh, by a non-adopted person. They want the story that was written by the non-adopted 
person. And I've been told that, you know, trying to publish my my stuff, um, that they prefer the story that was written by somebody else. And that person was not adopted. And that is so insulting. I mean, can you imagine like if you're a black writer and somebody says, oh, I prefer the story that this white person wrote about the black experience. And yet we're so marginalized and the story is so entrenched that editors are feel perfectly comfortable saying that to you. And that's really like the headwinds that we face and you know, the reasons why you and I do adoptive voices is to get more of those voices out there so um, they know that it's the norm and not and not the exception and that people are want to tell their story. They want their story heard and they don't want the bullshit story that, you know, somebody else wrote. I really hear you, Alice, talking about how um, these adoption tropes take away the agency of an adoptee, um, make them the object of the story instead of the subject of the story. But I think these tropes also affect other people negatively too. When we see movies like The Blind Side or read some of the literature that tell us that adoptees are a blank slate, who will be a gr grateful to their parents, who come to you with no um, baggage or trauma, we go out and we 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 perpetuate the story we go out and we do what the hearts did we adopt a lot of kids and we do what the instagram influencers do what they do and we we adopt kids because we think it's one way and then we find out it's another way so we have that's a disservice to us as well by not painting a more complex and deeper picture now i think there is a way to do this well in literature um I guess I'm going to talk about more in 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 movies and in in TV dramas like This Is Us. They people have started hiring and Jagged Little Pill. People have started hiring adoptees to consult on the script so that they get it right and get that those layers of complexity in there. Yeah, I think that's really that's great um, that that is that's happening and definitely more and more adoptee voices are coming out. Um, there's a movie Joyride about um, an adoptee that, you know, is humorous and that's, that's refreshing. It's humorous, not about her adoption. It's just a humorous story and her adoption is part of it. Um, and uh, there are definitely lots of books coming out by adoptees that are getting good, um, a good reception. And, you know, that's really, really wonderful. Um, and people, you know, adoptees have been working on this for decades. I'm definitely a latecomer here. And there are lots of, there's been a lot of work trying to, you know, get that, get the adoptee story out there, which is really great. Um, there's a lot of work. There's a lot, a long way to go. I mean, it's, there, there's still this deep sort of ignorance, I feel like, by a lot of people about um, about what adoption is. And I, I really appreciate that point that you made, that it does a disservice to the adoptive parents, too. I mean, just, I, you know, looking at my family, 
they adopted a child from Korea um, and um, they knew that I wasn't an orphan though we were kind of marketed as orphans um, but they never really thought about the backstory to it and um, then my mother met the director of the Korean agency from which I was adopted and he told her a story that wasn't true and she told me the story just you know believing him and you know there's just a lot of things that um that the way that adopted parents are taken advantage of um that is because of that greater narrative out there so um yeah it it does a disservice to to everyone not to put you on the spot, Kelsey, but I wonder if you are there ways that this does it these tropes do a disservice to original parents as well? Yeah, I mean, in, in a pretty basic way, I mean, it highlights birth parents as bad and adoptive parents as good, and it's very black and white, literally in the blind side. Um, and I think it paints a very classist racist narrative um it's oversimplified um i remember a scene in the blind side where you know sandra bullock walks into his house and sees there's not much furniture it's not um it's not great living conditions um and while all of that may be true um we're being fed this um perception that not having a normal or that's not normal isn't my word um not having everything you need to parent a child means that you're a bad, bad parent and you're um you deserve to lose your child um and so i think it just contributes to this false narrative um about these people that strips away their, you know, humanity in the eyes of society. And it does a disservice to birth parents. It does a disservice to their kids. And, um, and it, yeah, it perpetuates this kind of toxic view of, uh, people living in poverty or people struggling, um, with a, you know, a choice or not a choice that, that was life altering for them. And so, and the thing about, you know, the blind side and, and Michael Orr is like, I know you talk a lot about babies, you know, as adoptees and it's like, he wasn't a baby, he was a teenager. And, um, but the way he was infantilized and not given a voice, and then even his mother not given a voice, um, yeah, it was the Tuli show. <laughs> so it was, you know, there there was no real there was no real voice there for him or his family i think that birth parents are the most voiceless in the whole narrative i mean and they're just and that's that's purposeful right uh, nobody wants to think about the separation of what where that baby comes from and what you know what why that baby came from um you know in modern adoption it's not we're not orphans uh and um it's just a matter of who the parents are 
uh, and how society looks at it and what society gives them, gives gives to families, to mothers, to help keep the baby, as has been mentioned many, many times before. Just imagine if that money, the half of the money that was put into adoption was put into supporting mothers. Um, there's a, you know, one thing about Korean adoption is that a lot of people do have the luxury of not thinking of where those babies came from. You know, they come from a foreign country. It doesn't really matter, you know what? And because it did start with orphans right after the Korean War, you know, there's still that idea that, oh, they're orphans or, and, um, and Korea, you know, I, I was one of the first wave of adoptees and it happened because, um, because Korea needed money and they didn't have a social safety net. So these two things, um, you know, just kind of went together, starting with the mixed race children like me, um, but then going on because it was so lucrative, um, going on to other, to full-blooded Koreans. And they're still adopting and people are still adopting in the U.S. today, Koreans. And um, there was just a movie out, or not just a movie, a couple of years ago called a Forget Me Not by a Danish Korean adoptee, which went into, um, he was Sun He Engelsoft, went into a, a, a home for, for mothers and showed, you know, where these babies came from, which was from teenage mothers. And so just like, it, it just that sort of narrative is necessary to educate people that no, these are not orphans. You know, Korean adoption is something different now. Um, that this is the same, that this is not a situation of saving a baby. Um, but it's just because it's so convenient uh, to just erase the, the birth parents altogether. Um, and yeah, I just, I feel like birth parents really are the most silent, the most silenced and least wanted to be heard of. And a lot of, and that's because of socioeconomic reasons. I may end up regretting this, but I wanted to say one thing in defense of the blind side, which I'm going to rename in my head to the TUI show. Thanks to you, Kelsey. <laughs> and that is, at least they did show the connection that Michael Ower had to his birth mom. Um, and I don't know if that's because they really wanted to show a more multidimensional look at adoption or if they just wanted to throw the audience an emotional bone. I, I will say, though, that like showing her almost felt like they were finding someone to blame. Like, this is the woman who did this to him. Like, here's the bad guy. We This story needs a bad guy, so we'll show you who it is. That's kind of how I feel about it. I don't know. I'm thinking of the different people who might find their way to this podcast. And I'm thinking for adoptees, um, what's the takeaway? Um, Alice, I'd love to hear you say it. I, I you know, um, for... Um, editors and agents, if you are listening, what is the takeaway? Anyone in publishing, what is the takeaway? For um, people outside of the constellation, what is the takeaway? For birth parents, for adoptive parents, what is the takeaway? So maybe we can all just volley this around, but I'd love to hear our different thoughts. 
Um, I think that uh, the takeaway is that, uh, you know, you have a right to your own story. You um, don't have a right for anybody else to tell your story and to tell you that um, to not have you tell your story. I mean, I know that's an easy thing to say, but I know a lot of adoptees are scared to tell their stories because they don't want to hurt their adoptive parents' feelings. And I can understand that, but I can, you know, just because they adopted you, they don't own your narrative. They don't own your voice. They don't own um, your ability to, to, to uh, tell your story. Um, so uh, it, yeah, for adoptees is tell your story and um, for everybody else is listen to adoptee stories and support adoptee stories. And don't, you now the first thing shouldn't be like, Oh, shut up. You're I'm even though, you know, we're not, there's obviously something wrong with you. It's not adoption. <laughs> it's, you know, you're, it, you're, you're the, you know, you're crazy or, you know, whatever. Um, but to actually try to understand what people are saying and not to be so scared of it. Um, and uh, to just know that the adoptee narrative is as needs to be as respected as any any other marginalized narrative and that it should not be um it should is not right to let other people uh tell that story um and and to actually prefer that story you know so just like right now it's still quite recent but um in the literary world you can't tell somebody else's story outside of that ethnic um, group, I think that's kind of the same thing with adoptees at this point. Um, that they're just, it, should, it shouldn't be allowed <laughs> that adoptees not, uh, not, that non-adoptees tell adoptee stories. But I know that it, that's impossible because the adoptee story is so attractive to everybody. Um, all writers, you know, it's just like they, it's, it's a story. It's a perfect sort of story. And, um, you know, I, writers are always going to write the adoptee story. I want to add to that, Alice, I think you're, I loved everything you just said. And I would add to that, just thinking about children's literature, just one of the kind of rules when you're writing children's literature is to get the parents out of the way um, so that the child can be the protagonist. But an easy way to get the child out of the way is make them an orphan, make an adoptee, you know, and so don't be lazy, you know, don't be lazy for the writers out there. Um, don't use that just because it's an easy way to get the parents out of the way. Um, and then I also just want to say, um, you know, I, what you were saying about the, this, you know, this narrative that gets accepted um, that everybody just drinks up the, to just the producers, the writers, the editors, the agents, like stories are so much richer when they're complex. Like the humans, we have so much suffering. We have ups and downs. We have highs and lows. And um, that happy narrative is not reflective of life. <laughs> like just, it's so such an opportunity for just really rich storytelling when you have adoptee led stories where adoptees are the heroes of their own journeys. And it's, 
And it's not the, this just overly done, overly manufactured version of the narrative that we're also used to. So, um, you know, there's just so much more complexity and opportunity. And I also wanted to just add for adoptees who have given consent to different ways of their stories to be told, like you have the right to change your mind. Like you can take back that consent um, because it might've worked at a certain stage in your life and it may not work later. And it's okay that it doesn't work. I don't think it's like a binding contract you have to sign that when you were 12, you said, okay, <laughs> to whatever the, the package story was. Lori, Kelsey, what, how about you? Um, yeah, I think my takeaway is more of like a challenge for whoever's listening is to really like embrace the entirety of someone's story um, despite the the blemishes of uh, just life. I mean, like, and the, even just like the unfortunate parts to, to embrace all of that, because I think it um, is very reflective of humanity. And so that includes embracing someone's um, birth family, um, as the individuals they are, as the family unit that they are, as the origins that they are of an adoptee. And um, despite anything that may feel unsavory to a societal lens, um, whether that be um, extreme poverty or substance use disorder or mental illness, um, to embrace all sides of that and also see beyond it to see the person um, that is at the core. So. I really love what all three of you have said, um, Sarah, especially what struck me was about consent for your story being out there is revocable. If you have changed or if you've changed your mind, um, I think my takeaway would be that adoptee stories are so much more multidimensional than we have, uh, allowed ourselves to think they are based on what we've seen. And when you do live in adoption, no matter where you are in that adoption, you see the complexity. It's complex. And we are better served by exploring the complexity instead of making it flat and tropish with adoptees grateful, birth parents absent, and adoptive parents as saviors. It just doesn't ever turn out that way. And why would we feel good thinking that it does? Um, it's just so flat. Well, what a really wonderful conversation. We said a lot of things that like, I feel like, well, I'm glad we got that out there. And uh, thank you, Alice, for joining us and being so passionate and wise and um, just all the amazing work you do supporting writers and um, and knocking against the adoption tropes. I'm so thankful for you and just really thankful to have you on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed this conversation a lot. I think this is a wonderful, a wonderful idea just to have the three of you together in dialogue and in, in conversation with lots of other people. Um, I think it's really wonderful uh, to do this. And I hope that lots of people follow your example of just working together. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.
Thanks to all of you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, comment, rate, and share wherever you listen to help others find adoption unfiltered. It's through healthy engagement that we can make the changes needed for all those impacted by adoption. Visit adoptionunfiltered.com for other episodes and more information about our other projects.